Welcome to Cracking and Fracking with your host, me, Thomas Waters. Our podcast will tackle credit trends, ratings and outlooks in the oil and gas and chemical space, as well as insightful analysis on industry trends and market dynamics. Hello again, everyone, and thanks again for listening to another edition of Cracking and Fracking. After a recent road trip visiting several investors covering the chemical industry, you know, we thought it might be a good idea to hold this podcast and go over some of the key topics and questions that we were asked. Topics generally centered on macro trends in the various chemical subsectors, as well as some individual credits uh, that have, been, have had some recent rating actions. And of course, everybody's favorite topic, crossover credits. So with me today are two pod leads, uh, Danny Krause and Paul Curious. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be here. Thanks. Good to be here. So why don't we maybe set the tables here and talk uh, macro trends? Danny, maybe we'll start with you and, and discuss the pet chem sector. And we know prices and earnings have been really strong, uh, but there are some concerns about um, uh, margin compression. We know more supplies coming on, you know, in, input costs remain elevated, um, and likely you know, demand's uh, going to weaken with the potential for a possible recession. So what are we seeing uh, and what about the rating prospects for, for maybe some of the pet chem producers? Sure. So, um, you know, pet chems have bounced back, uh, you know, very strongly from the COVID driven 2020 weakness. Uh, we're coming off of, in many cases, what were record 2021 uh, and likely first half 2022 EBITDA at a lot of these U.S. based companies. Um, you know, importantly, from our perspective, uh, many companies have used those increased earnings and cash flows to pay down debt and bolster their balance sheet. Uh, you know, it's our belief that this strong run in the industry likely comes to an end uh, and we see a deterioration in, in margins and credit metrics starting in the second half of, of this year uh, and then as we head into 2023. Uh, so whether you're talking about ethylene, propylene, or the various derivatives off of those key building blocks, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Tom, there is a significant uptick in industry capacity coming online, uh, particularly in the U.S. and Asia. Uh, and this is being brought online in the face of a weakening macro backdrop. Uh, so we'll be you know, keeping a very close eye on what happens on the demand front uh, and how much demand destruction we see uh, in this unprecedented inflationary environment. Now, from a credit ratings perspective, though, uh, we do think that the U.S. pet chem names that we follow are in a pretty good position entering this potential downturn. Uh, we're coming off such a high base in terms of earnings, along with the aforementioned debt reduction, uh, that these companies can weather some deterioration in margins. They built significant cushion in their credit measures, uh, that they're likely to avoid any downward pressure in their ratings. We also believe that based on our current oil and gas price deck, that U.S.-based producers will continue to maintain their position towards the lower end of the cost curve uh, compared to the more NAPTA-based European and Asian producers. Danny, thanks for the summation. Paul, question for you. TIO2. Um, it seemed to do really well during COVID, as I guess m more people uh, became do-it-yourselfers when it came to home improvement. Uh, can we ex maybe expect the same during another recession? And, and sort of what are the prospects for TIO2? 
Yeah, yeah, you're right about that, Tom. Uh, Tiago too has had a had a great run. Uh, I don't want to speak about it in in the past tense because uh, you know prices are still high. There's not a lot of new capacity coming on board, uh, and there's been some sort of discipline uh, in in the industry with this gradual transition to contracts, at least at uh, at the market leaders. Uh, earnings have been high. Uh, at least two of our TIO2 producers, uh, Tronox and Kimors, uh, you know, have had strong earnings, and we have reflected uh, both. Uh, the recent past and our view of the future in, in positive outlooks there. The key issue really is, uh, you know, all the good that's happened to the industry is going to get tested in uh, in a potential downturn. Um, and will things hold up is, is the big question. Um, we believe that as long as uh, the housing market downturn that will inevitably come about is not deep, are, are sustained in terms of time. TIO2 producers can ride out uh, any any bump. Demand is key here. There are supply constraints uh, that are helping TIO2 producers, but that should uh, sort itself out before too long. Uh, if if demand weakens, uh, you know, then this this run this run up in earnings uh, is is, is going to weaken, but not uh, it's not going to be a deep downturn. We don't believe. So the future is a little uncertain, but credit metrics are strong. We think the positive outlooks where they're in place hold for now, but we're waiting and watching uh, the housing market in particular to see how things play out uh, in the future. Thanks, Paul. I got another question for you. We've got a lot of questions on fertilizer. Um, prices are, for lack of a better, better word, very high. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And this has a lot to do with the Russian-Ukraine conflict, but where do we see fundamentals maybe in prices headed? I guess even if we go into recession, I mean, ag- agriculture, as we know, tends to be somewhat recession resistant. Um, but can these price levels be sustained? Uh, yeah, good question. I'll try not to be repetitive here, but there's shades of uh, the TIO2 run-up in pricing that 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 show up here. Uh, yeah, in fact, I'll be hard-pressed to think of a more credit-favorable time as far as short Short-term earnings growth is concerned in in the ag sector. Pricing is is very high by historical standards, even with the usual fluctuations inherent in um, the sector. You know, I don't know if all good things come to an end, but but this run we believe will certainly end. Uh, part of the reason is that uh, the conditions that led to this uh, pricing run-up are sort of going to be short-lived. Some of it has have to, has to do with geopolitics and the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, that's resulted in in a supply constraint uh, in potash and nitrogen, in particular. That we don't believe will last f- forever. Uh, at some point, when that supply comes back, you know things could get back to more "quote unquote" normal. Uh, when that will happen, it's really hard to to predict. Uh, it's it's a geopolitical event, um, you know, not an industry fundamental event. Our our long term demand. Uh, remains favorable. Demand outlook remains favorable for the sector. Uh, so that's an ongoing credit positive. But there are some credit positives, uh, you know, that, that are going to be more short-lived. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate the update. All right. Well, why don't we switch over to um, <clears throat> discussion on crossover credits? We've got a lot of questions on that. And so, Danny, um, maybe talk about Olin. Uh, the outlook was Recently revised, it's a W plus positive. What what do we need for it to become uh, investment grade? 
Yeah, so it's an interesting uh, story with Olin. Um, you know, we're really seeing their, where we've seen their earnings take off, uh, largely uh, in part due to the uh, relatively new ECU optimization strategy since the change in CEO a couple of years ago. Um, you know, as well as the support of macro backdrop in, in key end markets like like housing. Um, you know, the company has shifted away from chasing volumes at all costs at the expense of price. Um, and then in addition, you know, I mentioned some of the key building blocks and some of the supply overbuild that we're expecting there. Um, you know, compared to some other commodity chemicals, there's really little in the way of new supply coming on in the chloralkali chain. Uh, so we do think that there is, you know, some runway here for a supportive market from a, a supply demand perspective. Um, we've also seen an improvement in the earnings potential of their Winchester business uh, in large part to the benefits from some new contracts. Um, so coming off a, a very weak 2020, a uh, company did utilize record EBITDA and cash flows to significantly reduce debt, uh, which has led to a couple of upgrades and positive rating actions at Olin. Uh, so, Tom, as you mentioned, we, we did revise the outlook to positive in March of this year, signifying that we think there's at least a one in three chance that we could get to IG uh, within a year or so. I'd say at a high level to, to get there, I think we would need a firm commitment from management uh, that they're going to be able to pursue any potential organic uh, and inorganic growth initiatives, uh, along with a, a recent increase in their shareholder rewards uh, in a manner that, that does preserve an investment grade balance sheet and credit measures. And key to that is that it would be able to support those credit measures across all operating environments, not just, you know, a very favorable housing market and very, very favorable macro backdrop. Interesting. Thanks, Danny. I got another one for you. It's in your group. Um, Ashlyn, we got a W plus stable on it. Um, I guess first we'd like to see <clears throat> to get to a positive outlook. Um, and then maybe after that, a uh, potential upgrade to IG. So what does it take to get to positive outlook? And, and then for that matter, ultimately down the road, uh, what would you want to see uh, before investment grade rating? Yeah, so I think with them, um, you know, also a lot of it is going to come down to to financial policies. Um, you know, unlike Olin, who's kind of laid out that they're committed to getting to and, and maintaining investment grade type credit measures, uh, Ashland hasn't made those those declarations. Um, you know, I get the sense that that's something that they're still trying to figure out. Uh, you know, I think their their business risk profile, as we see it, could eventually support uh, an investment grade rating. Um, but I, I don't think that that we're there yet. I, I think that they're going to continue to to look to acquisitions. Uh, you know, particularly potentially in the pharma and, and biotech space, uh, which which come at higher multiples. Um, so you know, I, I think within time they could potentially get there, but. Uh, I'd say we're we're still a ways off, particularly until we we have some sort of financial policy commitment from them. All right, thanks, Danny. Listen, so last July you wrote a commentary, and you identified you know six potential crossover credits. Now three of them have made the leap to investment grade. That would be Invista, Huntsman, and CF Industries. So I'm going to ask you, what about the other three? Univar, Olin, and JM Uber. Yeah, so I, I can I can touch on. Huber, um, 
compared to the other two that, that we just talked about, you know, Olin and, and Ashland, uh, we view Huber's, you know, business profile as a notch weaker. Um, you know, they are extremely exposed to the housing market, which, you know, last year and currently is a positive. But, um, you know, we know how cyclical that that market can be. Um, you know, they did it. You know, enjoy extremely strong earnings in in 2021, and you know we think that that's continuing into 2022. Uh, you know, leading to to metrics which are extremely strong for the rating. Um, I'd say upside for them, uh, you know, would likely stem from our belief that they're going to be able to pursue their growth initiatives and and you know look to diversify their business you know, in a manner that that does preserve investment grade type credit metrics. And, you know, I don't think that that we're there yet. And now turning to Univar, um, we did upgrade them to double B plus in April of, of last year. Um, they continue to make pretty good progress on the integration of the Nexio acquisition and hitting on the synergies that they've targeted. Uh, they've also made progress on their debt reduction initiatives and, um, you know, continue to improve their their leverage ratio. Um, I'd say from a credit metrics perspective to get up to IG, they still have a, a bit of a ways to go. Um, you know, they do operate in the very highly fragmented chemicals distribution segment. Uh, so, you know, they do have a track record of, of growth through acquisitions. Uh, we think that they're going to continue to pursue that. Um, you know, we, we'd have to gain confidence that they'll be able to do that in a manner that that preserves credit quality and a investment grade type balance sheet uh, before upgrading them to to triple B minus. All right, Danny, thanks a lot. Uh, Paul, back over to you. Um, maybe talk about Camores. You upgraded them in May, uh, right, to a double B with a positive outlook. Um, maybe it may take a little longer to get to an IG if, if, if that's in the cards. Um, but maybe talk about, you know, what we need to see for the upgrade, uh, address the positive outlook, and what are its pos- prospects, I guess, down the road for, for investment grade? Uh, sure. Uh, I, I'd, I'd say it's it's um distance from an investment grade we're uh, only at a double uh, double b here and so with with a positive outlook so let me address the prospects for uh, an upgrade to a double b plus first you know kemors is benefiting from uh, the run up in tio2 prices kemors is more than just a titanium dioxide producer they have several uh, businesses other than titanium dioxide but tio2 forms uh, an important portion of its earnings the other businesses are also, uh, you know, at this point, highly profitable businesses. Uh, they lend uh, some stability to earnings. So, uh, so, so its earnings are are more balanced and maybe less prone to a downturn in the TIO2 sector than a pure play TIO2 company. You know, it's benef- so the company has benefited from a run up in earnings uh, in the TIO2 sector, while the other sectors are the other segments are doing well. You know, the companies. Uh, looking to reduce debt, you know, and that's something we'll consider in any future rating action. We have a threshold uh, that we lay out in terms of financial metrics for, for Chemours. Uh, our view is that if uh, the funds from operations to total debt ratio is consistently about 30%, even after accounting for volatility in the TIO2 sector, uh, we will uh, you know, consider an, an upgrade. We don't uh, think the company is there yet, but we do have a positive outlook and we think that the chances 
that they'll get there are higher than one in three. All right, Paul, thanks. Um, recently, you placed Selenis uh, on Credit Watch uh, you know, following its acquisition. I think you said in the in the release it would probably only be one notch or triple minus. I guess you know investors get nervous when you have something that's sitting around triple minus. So how well positioned uh, would they be at a triple minus if we were to maybe enter into a recession? Yeah, you're right. Selenis is a triple B with a credit watch negative at this point in time. What led to that credit watch negative is the large acquisition that they're making and the and the large component of debt that's funding that acquisition. Uh, so we think. Yeah, even after accounting for uh, pro forma acquisition earnings, uh, leverage at Selenese is going to rise. And so we've signaled that we could go down a notch. Uh, the recession, uh, the potential for a recession or, an ex- or a downturn is also something that we are considering. At this point, we think uh, there is sufficient cushion for Selenese to weather a recession. You know, an important point to make here is that you know, even if there is a, a recession, we don't think it's going to be a, a deep or extended uh, recession. So Selenese, we think, could weather uh, a relatively shallow short-term recession. Uh, we expect the company to support its credit metrics at the triple B minus if and when we get to a triple B minus. Uh, we think financial policy will be supportive of an investment grade rating. Uh, and so based on that, uh, we're okay at this point with the triple B credit watch negative and and with the potential to go down a notch. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate the feedback on that. Danny, back to you. Um, Dow Chemical uh, recently revised its outlook to positive early June. Um, so what, what are you looking for for the upgrade and maybe maybe the timing on that? Sure. So, um, you know, the, the outlook revision really was to recognize, um, you know, a lot of the improvements that the company has made or, you know, hit on or exceeded many of the targets that they laid out since the Dow DuPont merger and subsequent spinoff into three separate companies. Uh, In addition to that, there was a significant reduction in the company's balance sheet and adjusted debt dropped by about, you know, 15 to 20 percent. So, I'd say the positive outlook as opposed to an upgrade at this point really balanced some of those credit positive factors, um, you know, with, you know, the offset with the uncertain macro environment and our belief that, you know, we are entering this period of, of oversupply, uh, which is going to depress margins and earnings from current record levels. Uh, you know, in that publication, we did lay out that we think we could raise the ratings on Dow within the next year or two, uh, you know, if metrics, which are you know currently pretty strong for the rating, do not decline as much as we expect in our base case, uh, and that the company can maintain funds from operations or FFO to debt above thirty percent on a weighted average basis. Uh, we also think that that time frame, uh, we're going to find out more and get more clarity on whether Dow is going to proceed with. This large new complex in Canada, uh, which they've said they expect to make a final investment decision on in 2023. All right, guys. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. I want to thank you both uh, for joining me and providing us with some really excellent and insightful commentary. This concludes another edition of Cracking and Fracking. Until next time, thank you. If you have any comments or thoughts on today's topics or future topics that you would like to learn more about, send me an email to thomas.waters at spglobal.com. Thanks for listening to Cracking and Fracking, our U.S. corporate ratings podcast. 
I'm Tom Waters. See you next time.